Yep. We're going to come on strong, prove them wrong another week. It's all about that mindset, man. If you don't have that mindset right, you ain't going to have your grind right either. And today, this conversation is going to be dope. A couple weeks ago, we had basketball. Now we're about to break into a little baseball. And then we're just going to talk life, man. Sometimes people don't understand the grind of an athlete. The grind it takes to go from the minors to the majors. And it's the reason why they are minors to the majors. Because you just got to you gotta be great. You got to have that mindset. And so this week's episode, man, I'm so proud to have this one. I know this gentleman for a while since he was 18 years old. And I don't know how old I was. I guess I was like 20-something at the time. But I'm here now. We're here now. You know, I went from the minors, too. I think I went to the minors and made it to the majors. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So it's just part of my career. And I'm taking on different platforms now. And so... I just want to welcome you guys to the Apex Podcast, and thank you for tuning in every week. If you subscribe, I appreciate it. If you leave a review, I appreciate it. But more importantly, I'm just here, and I'm thankful for everybody. So let me turn this music down, man. Let's let's get to this real quick. Hold on. Let me figure this out. You know, I'm the engineer only when sometime, you know? <laughs> so I get, to, I, get to, I get to do all your things. So with no further ado, like I said, I met this gentleman when he was 18 years old. Uh, I could gladly call him a friend. I think when you, you make friend status when you meet people family, you know, and I got an opportunity to meet his family, Pops and everybody. So let me give him the Apex Podcast welcome. You know, we always like to hand clap you in and let you know what, what we're about, man. We got a live studio audience right on the soundboard. But with no further ado, I'd like to introduce my man, Danny Espinosa, and I'm gonna let him come on and tell his story. We're gonna have some fun, but welcome to the Apex Podcast. Grab your seat. If you're driving, hold your seat. But other than that, don't crash. We appreciate you coming back next week. <laughs> Yo, Danny, what's good, big dog? What's up? Chill, man. Just in Orange County right now, just hanging out with the family. Just uh, hanging out, man. Just enjoying uh, and family time. I've never had family time like this, so enjoying it. Hey, I, I feel you on that. I ain't never had family time like this either. So <laughs> I was like, man, it, it, did it feel weird to you? Yeah, it was it was weird, man. Like not having a season this year for where I'm playing out of the country, like being able to stay home, like talk about an adjustment. I always heard about guys retiring and that was the thing. I didn't retire. Like this was forced. Like I, we were going to play. We were shut <laughs> down. You know, there's, there's, this is, this was just completely weird to just be home and like um, be at my house for, for this long and to be with my kids and my wife, I mean, just a complete, complete change for me. Man, how did, how did it feel? Like, you know, like you said, you, you, you was ready to prepare. I, I know, I know you, so I know you was ready yeah. to go rock and roll. And the way that I know you're ready is when the beard is intact. Like I know that <laughs> when that beard is ready, that means it's, it's ball time, you know? So for everybody that's listening and haven't watched or plan to watch, Danny has a huge beard and it's been like a staple of spring training. Like <laughs> yeah. he would come to beer uh, to, to spring training with this huge beard and everybody be like, bro, how do you have a barber when you're bald head? And he's like, yo, I got to get my beard right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, 100%. Hey, so what's the concept behind the beard? Like what was that, uh, you know, having the beard, what was that, that reason? Oh, you know, I always, I went to private school and we had to shave. And if you had any facial hair, they'd make you dry shave at school with no <laughs> shaving cream or anything. So I always was used to just shaving, shaving, shaving. And then um, 
one off season, one of the guys I was working out with, I think it was, I think it was Mike Moustakis said, dude, why don't you just grow your beard out? Just try it. Just, just grow your beard. I was like, I don't want to do it. And he said, no, just do it. I said, screw it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to just grow it out and grew it out. And it's just this big puffy unmaintained. I didn't know how to grow a beard. You know, it's just like a, didn't know to go get lined up with my beard. Just this puffy mess. And, um, just slowly. And then I think that uh, first time I grew it, I went to you and, uh, that's when I still had hair. So you were cutting my hair and I was like, yo, I need this. Like, can you shape this? Like, can you do something with this thing? And then once you shaped it, I was like, all right, I can, I can work with it. I can, I can keep this. <laughs> yeah. And that, and it's funny cause that's what it became. You start just getting a baldy just with rocking this big old long beard. Now yeah. for the people that don't know who you are, I'm going to give a little backstory, you know? So, uh, I met Danny. He was playing at Long Beach State. Ironically, the name is called the Dirtbags. And around the world, people are like, is that a real team? I just literally had somebody, uh, <laughs> my daughter's boyfriend was like, bro, Long Beach State baseball team is called the Dirtbags. And I was like, yeah. He was like, yo, that's hella hard. And he was like, that name made me want to go to that school just because of the name. And I was like, yeah. I said, it's a hard name until you wear that jersey somewhere else that don't know what it is. And they yeah. were like, this dude is a dirtbag. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. 100%. So, so, you know, um, I always feel like people don't get their roses when they deserve them or, you know, just people don't acknowledge the fact how other people help them. So before we go any further, I just want to put it out there. Anytime you've ever seen me post a picture from uh, a Major League Baseball stadium, Anytime you ever see me talk about in an interview a guy by the name of Danny who has helped me get into the major league clubhouses the way I've been able to get in there, uh, this is this gentleman right here. This is Danny. This is the guy who at 18 years old came in. I started cutting his hair in the barbershop, and he said, you know what, bro? I'm going to look out for you when I make it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And then here it is. We're still friends. We're still boys. Uh, I just was able to jump on his podcast last couple weeks ago called uh, Connecting by the Seams. So for you guys that don't know, baseball have seams. <laughs> so I'm sure that's, you know. <laughs> but so, uh, Danny, what was that like, man? I know you, you went to, what, uh, Santa Margarita? I went to, I went to Modern Day. Um, They're the same colors, right? And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Modern Day and then went to Long Beach State. And that's where I met you when I was when I was young, freshman year, something like that. And um, then I just, you know, my path was three years in college. Got drafted by the Washington Nationals in the third round, in 2008, and uh, made it to the big leagues in 2010. Um, you know, there's long. You know, I, I I can't say that it was a long road in the minor leagues because I would I had I had a quicker path. Um, to the big leagues um, with having success in the minors, but I'll definitely tell my story about the ups and downs of, of going through it for sure. I'll, I'll let everybody know. Yeah, bro. So, you know, just in that journey, like I was going to ask you, how long does it typically take a player to go from the minors to the majors? Cause it seemed like in baseball, you either get drafted out of high school and, and, or you go the college route. And for me, I was never really a baseball fan until I actually met you. Cause then I started, mm -hmm. I, then it was a personal connection to somebody. I could say, okay, that's my boy. I could follow him. And then people used to be like, bro, what team do you like in baseball? I'm like, um, the Nats. And they're like, how? You're not. Even, you're from L.A. I'm like, bro, y'all wouldn't even understand. It's a personal thing. Yeah. So, like, how long is that typical route for a player to go from? 
would, I would say the typical route for a high school kid is probably five years. Um, you know, that puts you at about 23 years old getting into the big leagues. Uh, I would say that's roughly the, the age that you would do. And then I would, at a college, to get drafted as a junior, which is your draft eligible year, um, it's usually, I would say it's probably two and a half, three full seasons of playing. So if you get, if I got drafted in 08, a full season would be nine and then 2010, which when I was called up. And then most people are 2011 would be full three full seasons. I would say typically, um, it's changed. Um, you know, I, I think back in the day, it could be real quick. I mean, there was kids coming up at 18 years old and they make the jump from a ball to the big leagues. And for everybody that doesn't know, you have rookie ball, low A, a high, a double a triple a. It's not like the NBA and the D league, right? <laughs> it's not like there's just one minor league system to go through. Like you're 18, you're going to sit in a ball probably all year, wow. you know, 19, you move up to high a, if you're, crushing it the movie to maybe you know double a at the end of that year but i mean most of your guys i mean you know your phenoms your mike trout i think mike was drafted in 2010 or when was he drafted 2009 he was drafted in 2009 at a high school i believe was in the big leagues in 11 maybe for a stint or I think he made it. I mean, he was, I mean, but you know, that's the rare case, him and Ken Griffey Jr. You're talking about, you know, once in a lifetime players that make a jump in a year and a half, Alex Rodriguez, you know, a year and a half in the minors, these guys are, you know, the best players that have ever played the game. So, um, but I would say the average at a high school is five years easy and college would be three. Wow. So that's, a, it's a journey for real. It's a long haul. Yeah, and you know, and, and the thing that people don't understand is that they think the second you're drafted, you're making money. Well, I could tell you, unless you get a big signing bonus, with you know, in the first three, three, four rounds, you get good money, life changing, you know, good money. But you know, if you're not a high round pick, you know, when you're an A ball, your monthly salaries. I mean, monthly salary means you're playing 29 of the 30 days in the season. Jeez. Seven o'clock game, you're there at one yeah you're home at 11 30 and you're making 1800 dollars the whole month wait like one comma eight zero zero bro you might as well yeah. drive for uber <laughs> you, you should you'd make more money that is crazy yeah. so everybody you make you don't make money until you get to the big leagues bro it's so funny because everybody thinks like yo go to play baseball, put the kid in baseball, put the kid in baseball, baseball, you get the big bucks, but you're really going to clarify some stuff for some people that, yeah, just because you made it in baseball, you get drafted out of high school. It doesn't necessarily mean you're getting the big bucks. No, I mean, you, if you're a first rounder, you know, you're going to get over a million, couple million dollars. If you're a first round pick, that's a one-time signing bonus. So that's paid within two installments within six months of you being drafted. After that, when you get to the minor leagues, you're an A ball. I think A ball is like fifteen hundred bucks, thirteen hundred bucks. You get to I think AAA is the highest paying. See, it's it's so it changes as long as you're under contract with them for the first six years of your career. AAA only pays like twenty one hundred bucks. So if you once you're in the big leagues and say you're in the big leagues and you become a free agent, and they have to send you down to AAA. The money is, I mean, you're still making really good money in AAA, but it's still it's different. 
right? But when you're drafted, those first five years when you're in the minor leagues, you live in a host family's house. <laughs> okay, so you're living out in West Virginia at a host family's house in their basement or their extra room, and they're just you know they're big fans and supporters, and you know God bless their heart for giving you a space to live because you couldn't afford a room. Right. If you, you know, if you wanted, or you're an A ball and you have five guys living in a two bedroom apartment. Wow. You know, so it's, um, it's not some glorious thing to just jump from high school. They, they, you know, I think people think you go to high school, to the big leagues, or you go to high school, you sign for a lot of money. You just keep making money even in the minor leagues. Not minor leagues is, you know, they want to talk about guys that work for six months all day and make less than $10,000. Man, that is, I'm glad I'm a barber, bro. I'm going to just be putting it out there. <laughs> like, I'm glad I learned how to cut hair. You know, like, I mean, it's, it's all worth it though. You know, like if you make it to the big league, it's worth it. It's worth the grind. Cause you got to love this sport to play it. If you don't love this sport, you know, I mean, you're not going to enjoy going through that grind. You know, like Ian Desmond, one of the guys, obviously you've become very close to yeah. one of my good friends, like, he always talks about that minor league grind and like how fun it was and how close you were with your teammates because none of you had shit. No one had anything. We all went to Applebee's or we all went to, <laughs> you know, whatever the hell was open at four in the morning on a bus ride, you know, and you created these friendships and these connections and you have to enjoy that. If you don't enjoy that, this is a grind that will tear you down so quick. Yeah, you know what's funny because I uh, uh, last year I was able to do something with my team and I was like, you know what, I want to take the team on the road and kind of give them that life. And so for me, traveling with like M and then traveling with Kendrick, I had two different dynamics of like a tour. And then also just having guys like yourself around me and I get to see how you guys move and understand how y'all travel. I was like, you know what, it's pretty dope to be able to do that, but not everybody get that opportunity. So I put our team on the road and we would literally go from one city to the next state and another city the next day. We didn't even, for most of the places we didn't drive, we hopped on flights in and out, in and out, in and out. Yeah. And people were like, man, how did y'all do that? Like, And I said, it was more so for the experience so that they can see it. I did it before, but I wanted to show them and I wanted to share that experience with them. And so I get where you're coming from. Like it definitely made our grind and our bond closer as a unit because we were all on that road together, sleeping in the Airbnbs and doing all of that. And it just made, I felt like it just made us super close because you, those are moments you don't get back and you get to get to grow together. Um, so speaking of players, you had a stint with the angels, right? Yeah. Played half a year with them. You played half the year with the Angels, and then you also played with the Nets. That's who you was drafted by. Yes. So, in those two teams, you played with two dynamic players. That one, Bryce Harper, and then the, the new guy, Mike Trout. What is the mindset, do you feel, that made those guys that dynamic in baseball to where they both came in with this label of, like, they're, they're those guys? What was it that you seen – being close to them that made them, them them so great. Well, I, I think they first of all go about things completely different. Um, different athletes, different mindsets. Um, Bryce is uh, more intense in my mind, um, but Mike's intense, but 
God, as great as Bryce is, Mike does everything easy. Like everything is so easy. He runs easy. He throws easy. He hits easy. It's like, I'd never seen, like I got to play with Bryce. I played with him in his MVP year in 2015. It was unbelievable. I mean, he couldn't strike out. He didn't swing (laughs) a ball this far off the plate. It was unreal. And he had a, you know, MVP year, but Mike's got what, like four, right? four MVPs or three MVPs in seven years. And so Mike's like con, like what he does day in and day out with a smile. Like it's like, the only way I can explain it with Mike is like, it's like playing with like on the field with a video game. (laughs) It's, it's crazy. Like he's, he's a generational player though. You get one of those, you know, you get even as great as, as, as Bryce is as great as Mookie Betts are as great as they are saying Tatis is going to be throughout his career. You know, now that he's in San Diego, Mike Trout does everything so fluid, so easy. It's unbelievable, but they still had a road, you know, the, the pressures on Bryce were different than they were on Trout too, because, you know, Bryce was on the cover, I think sports illustrated like 10 years old, right? You know, tell him that, you know, this is going to be the next, you know, Mickey Mantle, you know? So, you know, at 10 years old, you have this pressure to become something unreal, you know, become a generational player at 10 years old. I mean, what kind of pressure is that on a 10 year old kid? No one, <laughs> you know, when, when he was making mistakes at 18 years old in the big leagues, when he got called up to our big league team, when Bryce got called up, the mistakes that he made publicly, whether it was saying something or, you know, if it was just a mistake on, you know, a, a throwing a helmet or whatever, you had to see a kid grow up like 18 right. year olds don't grow up on national television. He did with millions with the millions, with the pressure of the world on his shoulders that I bet you most of the people wanted him to fail. Of course. Right. They would like, think about it. This kid is 18, 10 years old, hit the cover of sports. Like, of course they all wanted him to fail. Everybody wants him to fail, you know? So he's got all this pressure that's put on him at 18 years old to be in the big leagues, to have to go out there and not just be there, but perform and expect to be performing at an all-star level. The second he gets to the big leagues. Right. So the pressures were, were completely different. Um, but I was very fortunate to play with both of them, both unbelievable players, hall of fame, you know, by the end of their careers, obviously they're going to be hall of fame ball, ball players. Yeah. You know, what's crazy. I still feel like Bryce get a lot of, a lot of heat and still have that same pressure on him. And it's yeah. like, you re- you don't even hear about Mike Trout having no pressure. Yeah. And I, and I think part of that has to do with, um, I think Bryce kind of embraces it, kind of yeah. embraces the villain or whatever, you know, people want to put <laughs> on him, yep. you know, the pressure that people want him to fail or whatever it is. And like Bryce is a great guy. He's a really nice person, great family, great wife. Um, great. I really like Bryce. I really like Mike too, but the pressures are so different. Um, yeah. And playing on the East coast was fans some fans will understand, but playing on the East coast, that's where your fanatics come from. That's where your diehards come from. That's where, you know, the original, you know, the Dodgers are from the East coast, San yeah. Francisco. They're from the East, you know, the giants, 
These are those. That's why they have such great followers, the Giants and and the Dodgers, because those are original East Coast teams. And then moved out west, where you have generations of fans that have, were from the East Coast following on the West Coast. Plus, you have the West Coast fans. I never um, thought about know, it like that. I never yeah. even thought about it. But when you do now that you say it, that is definitely true. Like Pittsburgh Steelers fans are way different than most teams on the West Coast. <laughs> right. Well, think think about it out here, like. Anaheim Angels, like big league team, but they're struggling again this year, even though COVID, you know, has ruined not, you know, a fan's experience to be at the game. Like you're in Orange County, you can go watch the Angels play, which has arguably the best player in the next, within these 20 years of Mike Trout's career playing every night. And the stadium's nice. The stadium's nice. Or you go to Orange County, you can do anything else you want. Yeah. So you're going to go watch the play team that's going to come in fourth or fifth place in their division or go do something else. Go to a brewery. <laughs> go anywhere. I mean, you're in Newport Beach. You're, yes. You can go to Costa Mesa. You can do whatever you want. No. You know, when you're, you know, when in, in Washington, the fans loved us. They were there every night. You know, in New York, fans are like that. When you go to Pittsburgh, when you go to Philly, these fans are so passionate. And I think that attention that you get playing on the East coast, you get more attention like that. And Bryce has stayed on the East coast and he stayed with Philly and Philly's a tough place to play in. If you're successful in Philly, oh yeah, any sport, but if you're successful in Philadelphia, they'll make you a God. Nah. Look at you Rocky. Know, He's then, not even a real guy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, but it, it's crazy. I mean, I think playing on the East Coast makes a big difference. As big of a star Mike Trout is, I think if he put on the East Coast, God, he'd be he'd be that much bigger. I really do just be on based on media coverage. Yeah, that's that's a great way to look at it, man. So even for you, like growing up in Orange County, and then you you're, you're gone to Washington, you're going through that, and then you come back home and play a stint with the Angels. How was that? Did you feel any pressure coming back home and knowing that you always were going to have friends and families from not even just from performance level, but like you were more accessible back home than you were in Washington? How, how was that for you? Um, you know, my I have such a great core group of friends. They never were like that with me or asking for tickets. And uh, I mean, they, they never did that. They were um, always there to support me get their own tickets. Like never, never, I never felt that. Um, I think for me, it was more so the fact that I, I didn't want to be playing at home. I enjoyed like leaving. I enjoyed leaving <laughs> and going to Florida to have a spring training in Florida. And like, that was like my mind, like clicked in my mindset. Like, all right, it's time to go. Like training's over off season's over. I'm going to Florida and I'm on the East coast. Like I enjoyed that. And it was just wasn't the same playing out here for me. I, sh- I struggled with it, um, that part of it. Um, but you know, it was it was it was something that I let I probably I let consume me a little too much um, at that point in my career. I'd been along around for too long that I shouldn't that shouldn't have bothered me. But um, I, it, I I didn't dislike playing for Anaheim. I I, I liked the owner and. The GM is a great person. I met some great guys on that team. Um, it just wasn't the right. It wasn't the right fit for me. Not the right place for me. I I enjoy playing on the East Coast. Yeah, you like the big show. You like because really that's yeah. when I think of baseball. I think of that as the big show. Right. Now you that you said, Bo- you think Boston. You think Yankees. Yeah. You think I mean you think East Coast. That's what that's what everyone thinks. If you're going to play on the West Coast, 
If you're playing for the Dodgers, okay, different. They got 50,000 every night, sick, awesome. They win a game, I Love LA comes on. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's unbelievable. I love here. even when we'd lose a game, that song would come on, my God, it's so sick. Like, <laughs> the whole city's behind them. This is awesome, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, San Francisco was like that when, when they were winning their championships. Unbelievable fans, uh, great place to play, even as a visitor. But, um, yeah, the East Coast is like that kind of everywhere you go, except for like Miami. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, Dodger Stadium was actually the first stadium that you called me up to. Was uh, I think it was Dodger Stadium or uh, San Diego? One of those it was. was San, the it was San Diego, and it was. I think they were back to back. Yeah, and you was like, "Bro, you'll drive yeah. to San Diego." I was like, "Shit, I'm on my way. The, the rims is spinning yeah. already." <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's. Yeah, it was one of them too, but it, it's like. You know, just to have, to be, I consider myself one of your friends. And you know what I mean? I consider you a friend. Yeah, and, and because I've I seen this journey through 18, and I knew how down to earth you were because your pops was hella cool. You know what I mean? Like, when I met your pops, I'm like, yo, I see where Danny get it from. But one thing that shocked me was your dad told me one day, like, have Danny talked to you about, you know, the cowboy in it? And I'm like, cowboy? Like, nah. I'm, I would have never thought you as a cowboy, bro. Never. No, I mean, that's, yeah, you know, I, I love growing up in Orange County and, and, and living in Long Beach and stuff, but my family's from the country. Um, my grandparents, my, my grandfather on my dad's side was cowboy, and my, um, my mom's side was all farmers from Arizona. And um, it was something that, I think so to this day that the lifestyle that, that they lead is a hardworking lifestyle, but you know, they don't, they're their own boss and they yeah. have the freedom and I, I enjoy that, you know, with, with, and, it, and it's just kind of just solidified a little bit more in my mind with everything going on. I'm like, they, they haven't changed anything out there. All my buddies that are out by my farm in Colorado that have their own ranches and all their farms, like nothing's changed. Like they're no normal day to day of farming and running cattle and they're good. Like this COVID <laughs> shutdown hasn't even affected them. Like we're naturally socially distanced. Our neighbor's five miles away. Right. <laughs> like, you know <laughs> what I mean? So like, I, I don't know, like there, I, I really enjoy it for myself, but you know, at the same time, um, you know, when you have kids, you know, I have to put my kids in a spot where they can be successful academically and athletically and have an opportunity. You can't live in a small town and have right. that same um, opportunity, I guess. Yeah. No, nah, nah, I get that. That's part of the reason why I moved from California to Texas. Yeah. You know, like the way of California is great for others, but for people who want to see success, California to me seems like it's a grind. It's like, I, I was very successful in California, but I also felt like I was running a rat race. Like it was just, yeah. no matter how much I did, no matter how much money I made, I was still back at point zero the next day. And it's like, geez, like, man, can I get a break? And it's like, you don't get those breaks. I don't feel in California. Yeah. And I, the, what, what, the problem I see in California is that, you know, when you start looking at taxes and stuff like that, <laughs> and the opportunity because the cost, you know, the, the cost to live in California is so high. So now the cost to buy a house, the second you make more money, California penalizes you. 
So now you've made more and you're in a different tax bracket. You're trying to buy a house and you're like, how do you do this? So I, I feel that California right now, unless you've made such a great amount of money, like you're just fighting to keep your head above water. And that's such a terrible like way to think and, or look at life. Like, I feel like you should work hard to be able to be like, all right, I've put my family or my kids in a great spot so I can leave them better off. I can give them a better start. And now they're saying California, there's no, they're saying basically for the majority of Californians that their kids will never be able to buy a house without their parents' help because of where it's at now. So why, what, what's, what's so great about it? Like, yeah, the beach is nice. It's nice. It's always 80 degrees. Like I, that, that is, that's great. But is it worth of being like having like having water be right here on you? Like 24 seven, like you're this close to taking a goal. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. or you can go somewhere else and, and, and thrive and do exactly what you're doing. Make the same money, make more and take off. And only be ankle deep in water, right. <laughs> and not bottom lip deep. Right. That's that. Uh, yeah, and, and that's so true. And we're both California kids. Like I'm still California through and through. But uh, in Texas, I have adapted to the way of living in Texas, and I enjoy it. Man, it's so peaceful and so so common. And I see the difference with my son and him being just able to go out and hang out, play basketball, not really worry about the environment around him as much anymore. But yeah. What was the first, when you got that first big, big contract check, what was the first thing you bought that was silly? Like, you probably bought a, you know, something that was, like, sentimental. But what was that one ridiculous thing you got where you was like, this is some, like, oh, well. So I've never, like, bought something crazy. And and I think it's just because of how I grew up and who my mom and dad were. Um, so I signed a third round. I got a night, a really nice signing bonus. And, um, I went out and bought a Cadillac. Remember that black Cadillac CTS? <laughs> I, I, I used that thing to was sweet. Yeah. But I couldn't, I couldn't convince myself to buy a new one. So I bought a pre-owned one. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I couldn't. Cause I was like, man, like I need to make it first. Like I need to, I need to make it and, and like, make some money to have a little bit of like secure more. I need more security in order to do that. And, yeah. um, I went and looked at a Mercedes and I was like, ah, oh, I can't spend that money. Like <laughs> this would be so irresponsible. You know, I was like, ah, oh, this would be so bad. And so actually I would say the first thing I really kind of like was stoked on buying was after my rookie year, I was like, all right, I gotta give myself like, something. I had a pretty good year. I'd set the new home run record for a rookie for the Washington nationals. And, um, I was like, I gotta, I gotta give myself something like, and so I went and bought a, uh, uh, all black diamond pinky ring. <laughs> and I was stoked. I was like, no one wears pinky rings anymore. I'm gonna bring fucking pinky rings. back. Yeah, so I went and bought myself a black diamond pinky ring. I still had to wear it all the time, and it always reminds me of why I bought it because it was like my gift to myself for like having a successful year. But um, since that, man, nothing. I mean, nothing crazy. I like jewelry. I like chain. I mean, I like I like chains. I wear 
It got might you a little, every day. Got you a little piece. I got I got a piece on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something I have um, pretty. Yeah, I always keep a Saint Christopher with me. Um, but these are chains I never take off. These are my everyday chains that are just with me twenty four seven. But I don't know. Probably the biggest splurge was probably my wife's wedding ring. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't even for you. <laughs> it wasn't for me. Yeah. So ain't that, that was some probably shit? my biggest. But yeah, I, I I'm pretty um try to keep things under control. I'm trying to look down the road. I want to look down the road, and I want to. Um, it's kind of one of those things that's in my mind. It, it's just, I guess would kind of go a little off track, but I guess my biggest splurge would be to invest it because I want to leave my kids better off than what I was left, and I was left well. My my family took care of me, but it's always a goal of mine to give my kids a better life than what I had. And mm-hmm. so ever since I was young and I thought I had it and I got my signing bonus, I, I had this image in my head and I didn't get to play in the big leagues as long as I want. I got to play eight years, which is, which is great. I think the average big league career is three years. Really? Um, yeah. The average big league career is like only three years. Wow. And so getting to play eight, I was a very, very happy and fortunate. Um, and I'm still playing, I'm just playing out, out of the country now, but I had this goal in my mind that I wanted to build an empire. I wanted to leave a legacy for my kids, whether mm-hmm. it was my name or a family connection or something. And so I think one day, and as morbid as this sounds, when I die, that will be the biggest thing I ever bought or did was to leave something for my family to say, look what our grandpa or dad did. That would be the biggest thing for me. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And you know how some people say money make you more of what you already are. And I think money has made you more humble, like even more than what you were coming into it. Like, like I can honestly say since I met you, you've been the same. If I needed something, I could reach out to you. If I could, I could just talk to you, whatever. And I could just check up on you. And you're the same guy that I met when you were 18. But I remember in the barbershop, y'all coach was an asshole, by the way. I don't even know his name. Never met the guy. But I remember at Long Beach State, you brought the whole baseball team in, and everybody was getting a haircut by me. And one of, I think it might have been a pitcher, he got his haircut, and he wanted the Long Beach State symbol in the yeah. back of his head or the number. It was, it was uh, Zach Barger. Bruh, I did the graphic in his head. The coach told him, <laughs> you're either going to cut that shit out your head or you're not going to play. And I was yeah. like, you are a dickhead, bro. Like, why? You go back like that afternoon and get it shaved <laughs> off. I remember. I was like, wow. That's when I knew, you know, man, y'all going to be hated for whatever you do. <laughs> yeah, it's um, the program, the way they ran, you know, the way that when I was there, the way they used to run, it was no facial hair, no nothing. It was um, very old school, clean cut. And that was you know, I think there's good to that. Um, it can be a little strict at times, but I think um, he was pissed. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't happy. I mean, but I mean, this is, I mean, honestly, like my coach kicked me out of practice multiple times, kicked the other guys out of practice multiple times. It's just how he was, and like you know, we knew it. And there was a hard no style of baseball. Um, and as much as you hate it going through it, and I, and I say this about a lot of stuff, whether it was like going to private high school, I went to a private Catholic high school growing up. You hate the rules. You hate the <laughs> uniforms. You hate the policies. You hate all the bullshit as a kid growing up going through it. Until you're done with it and you get past it, you don't appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Like, I appreciate it now that like 
I had these rules and it made me like shave. I maybe I didn't want to shave, but I had to <laughs> shave, you know, I had to have my sideburns couldn't be past the middle of my ear, you know, my, um, just with my dad, my dad was, an, my dad's an attorney. So I always had to have a clean haircut. Like there was a presence and there was something about everything that I think probably built me to the person who I am now. And as much as I hate it and everybody hates growing <laughs> up with it, you, at least I ended up appreciating it because it gave me guidance in yeah. my life. It, it gave you that structure, that sound foundation yeah. to build off of. Is it true that the Yankees is like that too? Like you come yeah, to work, no can, facial hair? No facial hair. Uh, you can only have a mustache. What? Yeah. Bro, you know how bad that would look if everybody just came in with just the little little joint. They that, do. They they like some of the guys do. Like John Carlos Stanton had one <laughs> this year, or last year. He had just a little mustache. Like, yeah, guys do. And and the mustache can't go like below your lips. I don't think sideburns should go past the middle of your ear. Hair can't be on, on your ears. Yo, so but yeah. but you know what? Thinking about it, that's probably why the the, the Yankees like get the a lot of they guy. Have. They get a lot of guys to be models in their career are TV analysts and stuff like that. If you know, like those guys are more prone to be something other than just your typical analysts or things like that. Like look at A-Rod, man. He got I mean, J-Lo. A lot, a lot of Look at the teams that they build. Look at the structure from when they're in the minor leagues, the guys that they build and the way that they structure them from a young age, they have to answer to people. Right. Yeah. They have responsibilities to show up to the park and to, to, to play. You can't have facial hair. You can't have, you know, <laughs> and as stupid as those rules are, it gives these guys structure and they have to answer to someone above them. Right. You know, yeah. we didn't just give you $4 million to be a jackass. You still have, lo- you have rules with us. And I think it, there's something to it because look at the amount of championships they've won. Correct. Look at the players that they get, you know, and then, look out when they're done with their careers. Look how many of them get signed to do stuff post-career because of the professionalism that comes with being a Yankee. Yeah, they learn how to be businessmen. Yep. And I think sometimes in sports, and correct me if I'm wrong, people lose that sense. They think because we made it in the big leagues or we made it in whatever sport and we're at the top of our game that this is still not your job. And it really is. It's, It's your professional job. It is. It is your job. And the higher and higher you get up, actually, and once you make it to the big leagues, it's more of a job than it ever was in your life. You know, that's when politics start really playing into stuff. Not, not you know, politics within our country, but just <laughs> politics within baseball. Right. You know, about why is this guy here? Why is this guy not here? You know, oh, there's money with this guy. There's money with that. You know, we don't have to pay this guy. Like, there's different crap. Right? And so... um it, 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 it's, it's true. I mean, it, it's, it's a different game and it, it is a job and I never like to look at it that way, you know, <laughs> but, um, you're, you're a role model and, um, I will say, and I'm sure people would, what if baseball people were listening would bash me for saying this, but I really don't like all the bullshit going on in baseball right now with bat flipping and showing people up and, and doing that, that's not how I was um, brought up in the game. Um, I remember the first time I ever pimped a home run, Matt Stairs, who I had all the respect for in the world, who played in the big leagues for like 20 years. I pimped a home run. I didn't even pimp it hard. I mean, compared to what these kids are doing now, throwing <laughs> bats into the stands and shit, like, I mean, I think I watched it. 
You know what I mean? Like I like, watched my home run for a second and I hit the home run and gave us the lead in the big game. And like, right when I sat on the bench, he's like, he's like, I love it. Love the home run. Gave us the lead. He's like, don't ever fucking do that again. <laughs> you know, but that's, that's the generation I came up in. Like, I, I hate to see because some guys forget that they're role models to these kids. Yeah. And then you go turn a little league world series on and they're pimping shit off another 12 year old. Like, <laughs> that's not what I want to see. Yeah, you just want to see good sportsmanship. That's what we teach growing up. Right. That's what I come from the same era playing sports that you did. We, you know, we we were taught right. to shake right. hands. We were taught to do all the proper things inside of uh, sportsmanship. And so I, right. I, I get it where you're coming from. You know, it's taunting. I just at a different point, just a different way. You know, and I can right. see. And, it, and, it, and it's and it's so funny because a pitcher wants to strike someone out or guy wants to hit a home run. And then when it happens to them on the flip, they get pissed. <laughs> and I'm like, well, if, if you're going to do it, you got to be it's got to go both ways. And so most of the guys don't want it to go both ways. It's you like know, telling they, jokes. when they get struck out and a, and a pitcher's yelling at them and, you know, showing them up, they hate it. Right. <laughs> But if the night before they hit a home run and pimped it and flipped the bat and threw it in the goddamn dugout or everything else, it's like, oh, that's okay. I'm, you know, it's just a home run. Okay, well, it's just a strikeout. He just shoved it up your ass. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like either wear it, you either wear it or don't do it. How about, how about you just don't do it? Right. Because you know what? I don't care where you're at in life, what profession it is. We've all been at the top when everything's going good. And you can say whatever you want, do whatever you want, show whoever you want up. We've all been at the bottom where that's happened to us and someone's burying you. Mm-hmm. And so my thought is like, I, I, I don't like when I hit a home run or something like that, I, I don't have anything for the most part personal against that, someone like that. Like I hit a home run off them, whatever. Like I was always taught when you do something great, act like you've done it before. Hell yeah. Don't act like it's your first time. Don't act like it's your last time. Act like you've done it before. Be professional. Right. So that's the way I was raised. You know what's crazy? And I take that approach in my career. Like, when people are like, oh, man, you just, I'm like, man, shit, do people brag about working at Walmart? Like, that's their job. Like, I'm just doing my job. Like, I'm not, you know, and and some people will glorify and drop names like yourself or drop Bryce. And, and, you know, I've been able to cut Bryce hair. You know, I cut that mohawk that he was notorious for. You know what I mean? But, at the end of the day, you don't see all of that on my social media because at the end of the day, I value the relationship more so than valuing the fact that I could cut this guy's hair and use him to boost me through right. other people's eyes. Like, man, I'm just out here to do my job, and I'm blessed that he chose me to trust me to come in. And I think I got a lot of jobs like that, and I think a lot of people trusted you off yes. of that with me because they're like, yo, Danny's guy is professional. Like he come in, he, he he ain't trying to take no f- photos. He just trying to get this work in, you know. Right. And uh, no. that's that's just real, man. I, I I totally understand that. It's like just do your job and have fun doing your job. Right, and I think the relationships that are created are worth more than bragging or doing. I mean, if you do your work the right way, I mean, it it'll speak for itself. Like the relationships will naturally like the richest of the rich typically don't brag. They don't have to, but the ones without shit are the ones that typically are flashing the world in front of you. And you're like, Oh, okay. Like, great. Well, like, 
that's not the truth. You're like, cool, bro. <laughs> well, yeah, like, uh, that's cool. Like, whatever. But, like, the most successful people are, and that was the one thing I could say when I go back to, like, Mike Trout, right? You talked about Mike Trout earlier. After playing with him for a little bit, and I, I did an interview, and someone asked me, um, what's the most impressive thing you've seen? What impresses you most about Mike Trout? And the thing that impresses me most about Mike Trout is he's a good person. Because yeah. his talent every night, every single night, speaks for itself. I can't tell you how good he is because everybody knows how good he is. You know what he can do. Mm-hmm. But what you don't know because you're not in the clubhouse and what you don't know as a fan because you've never met him is how good of a person is he and how down-to-earth he is. That's, for me, in my eyes, when I, when I, when I all remember playing with him, is that he was a great guy. Yeah. He's going to be a first, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer. His talent speaks for itself. But the person that he is, he doesn't have to talk about himself. He can't talk about this, that, the other. He shows up every day, and it, and it shows. Yeah, he, shows he lets up. his ability speak for himself. Yeah, he shows up with his heart, and he just mm-hmm. go out there and have and, and enjoy the game and enjoy his teammates. And you know, I've been in the clubhouse too, where guys will come in and they'd be like, "Yo, I'm paying for your haircut." And to me, it's like. I think out of all athletes that I've ever cut in all the locker rooms and clubhouses I've been in, I think when I was around you guys in that Nationals organization, you could tell you guys were really close. Like, y'all was buddies. Like, you guys had that bond, and you could see that. And I think out of all the athletes, baseball players have been the coolest to me in, in, in yeah. return, you know. And I, and I, and I always – find that in baseball players like y'all cool as hell bro like y'all just live life y'all just got a different sense yeah and i think i think the reason is is because you know we don't go you know like say like the nba you, you used to be able to go from high school to the nba or the nfl you go from college to the nfl like when you get drafted you go to the minor leagues <laughs> you know and you grind and yeah. a lot of the guys are not big money guys that got a ton of money out of the draft um so I think that there's a very just down to earth feel. And with us, like a lot of those guys that have been called up, especially even the older guys, like multiple times they were sent, they were called up to the big leagues, sent down to the minor leagues, called up to the big leagues, sent back down to the minor leagues. So you understand that there's a grind and like, you don't treat people bad. Like I, I no matter what you've done, how much money you made, like you don't treat people bad just because of what you've done. Um, you know, you, you treat people and judge people based on how they treat you. And, you know, being in ARC, being in, having you come in that clubhouse, like those teams were really tight in Washington. Like if you hit one of our players or you like teams <laughs> weren't going to start shit with us. We were a big team. We were a tight team. And when it was time to go, all 25 of us had each other. We had each other's backs. It was go time. Yeah. You could definitely like, see. I seen it and I wasn't even there all the time, but I could see it. And I'm like, whoo, I mean, I've seen, I've heard about since I left about players that they brought in that maybe didn't have a great rap. Even when I was there, we'd bring free agents and that and don't have a great rap in, in baseball, whatever. And they come into our clubhouse and we just, I don't know if we just put our arms around them or just like we embraced, the, you know, who they were. Right. But like everyone we always ended up bringing in was great people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I think it was just the, the, being fortunate to have a Jason Worth and a Ryan Zimmerman and an Ian Desmond and an Adam LaRoche, you know, you have all these great veterans that know how to take care of a clubhouse yeah. and that's the environment you end up getting. 
And I think in life too, sometimes like that's the thing I think with kids now, they don't have legitimate good role models. They don't have, and it goes kind of back to what you're saying, the showboating in sports. And then you get that out on the field. I coach Pop Warner football and I would like in practice, let's showboat. Let's get it all out in practice. Talk crap to your teammates. But when you come to game time, lock in, we'll party afterwards. If a team do something, like, don't worry about none of that. We got to stay locked in because we can't lose to ourselves. And I think that's what it kind of all goes back to. And that's why I said I sensed it with that team. It's like, y'all were some great dudes. And like you said, the names that you just named were guys that no matter how much money they had, they were still just a friend. They were still just a boy in the team. Like, yo, man, we about to go out here, have some fun tonight, and come back tomorrow and cut my hair. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, that's the vibe that I got. But I want to tap into, like, I think baseball, you have to have mental toughness, you know, from the type of injuries. Like, people don't talk about the type of baseball injuries that come about. What were some of the hardest injuries that you had to overcome? Um, the hardest ones, I would say I broke my hamate bone, which is in my hand. Um, it's semi-common. It's just a scar. It goes all the way down. Broke a hand, my broke my hand. They take the bone out, they remove it, stitch it back up. Takes a little bit of time, nothing crazy. But I would say the two that probably really affected me is tore my rotator cuff in my left shoulder diving for a ball. And once that was torn, I mean, you can't. You hear about people that have like a minor, like everyday, like people who just like, oh, I have a small tear in my in my rotator cuff and I can't lift my hand above my shoulder. I tore mine, like, and I had to still, and I, we were still playing. Um, that one was, was a rough one. And then I tore my hamstring off the attachment, um, Mm. under, under my glute. I tore that one and got that reattached. Um, I would say those are the, the two worst for sure. I mean, I think I've had teeth knocked, teeth knocked out or. I thought that was only in hockey. No, (laughs) I mean, you know, get a bad hop in the mouth. Mm. Um, Nothing, nothing crazy. I mean, dislocating fingers. Um, yeah, that's, that's you know, nothing. Nothing crazy, but the hamstring and the shoulder were were pretty bad, and the and the comeback off of those is real weird. Like when you tear your hamstring, man, when they start making you run, you feel like you're just gonna tear it every single step you take. I thought that was just me out of shape, so maybe I tore my hamstring before. <laughs> I thought maybe I'm just out of shape and it feels like it's going to tear, but I probably tore it and just didn't know it. I'm going I'm to I'm go with this torn. <laughs> because if, if the, what you just described, I'm sitting here like, damn, is Danny my doctor? Like, I think he just described what it, like, it, it, yeah, it feels like you're going to tear it again. So it forces you mentally to pull up because you don't want. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. I mean, just trying to get ready for an off season, you know, for the next season, um, trying to go through normal lifts, you know, I feel like, oh shit, there it is. It's going to go again, you know, or like you start jogging and you're like, if I take it, if I, I'm jogging 30%, if I try to go 32%, it's going to tear, you know, and then you get to your first game of spring training, trying to like come back <laughs> and like, you're like jogging like 40% down the line. Cause I'm so afraid to pick it up. And finally at a certain point, it's a mental block and you're like, all right, this next ball I hit, <laughs> I got to run as hard as I can just to see if it goes, it goes. If it tears again, I can't do it. You know, it, it was going to tear again. 
Yeah. But I got to go at certain. So there's a mental block and you're like, all right, hit it. No, and you're like, okay, that's good. All right. I'm good. I can, I can, I can, I can get past it now. Bro, and think about it. You tore, you tore your hamstring and then tore your rotator cuff. You need both of those to do what you do. Yeah. That's yeah. Crazy. I mean, when I, when I tore my hamstring, I felt like Forrest Gump, like, <laughs> like something jumped up. Rock. <laughs> I just imagine Forrest Gump running when his legs was like wide and he's trying to just. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, oh, it, like, I remember it happened. It felt like something shot me right in the ass. I didn't know what to do. Like, just like stiff leg. Oh, shit. Like, just want to lay down, dude. It's the worst feeling. <laughs> Did you grab, like, you reached back and grabbed it and tried to catch it falling? Oh, yeah. I tried to catch it. It's like falling off. You're trying to catch a hamstring from going any further. Yeah. Oh, bro, <laughs> that's funny. Yep, I tore my hamstring, Danny. Thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> I'm not worried anymore. I'm not out of shape. It's just, well, I tore it. <laughs> you tore it. Yeah, cool. I, I, I got clarity now. I appreciate the clarity for me. <laughs> now, bro, what what is that? Because I don't think people um, have had moments like this. In my world, I've had these type of moments where I'm about to walk out on stage and then all of a sudden the curtains open up and it's like 5,000 people standing there. And I'm like, oh, shit, they came to see me. And it's kind of like because I have relationships with, with like baseball players, the, the walk on the, when you're walking on to when you're walking into the to the box, like you have that song that gets your mind right. So I kind of adapted that in what I do when I sit back and I'm about to walk on stage. I normally have earphones in backstage and I'm like bopping to zone out, to get everything right. What is that music that you listen to when when you're like, like, what was your walk-up song? Um, I had a lot of different ones. Um, and it usually was just, um, some, I, I would find something in the off season where I'd literally just be kind of hanging out and I'd be like, oh man, like, I'd catch myself just kind of like in a good groove and I'd be like, that. I'd save it on my phone and make this is my walkout song. Um, you know that song, uh, what is it, Bomb Bomb by Sister Nancy? No, never heard of it, but now I'm about to, I'm about to take it in. You need to look that, you need to look that one up. So, um, Bomb Bomb? That Bomb, it's B-A, I think it's B-A, let me see, let me look it up real quick. Bomb Bomb. I'm like, like for me, I was like, depending on what mood I was in, like if I was about to go ape shit and just go crazy on stage and I knew I needed to be right. creative, it was typically schoolboy Q was like my go-to where I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. you know, and and I'll just yeah. get that mode where I'm like, yo, it's time to go. And that's where I let the energy, I yeah. build it up, build it up. And then I was like, boom, you know. I'm trying to think um, this. Uh, or so let me let me see if you can hear it through this. Let us hear bomb bomb. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. That was it. Yeah, I love that song. It just kind of got me like. I don't know, man. It just got me in a good spot. I, I love walking out to that song, but 
I don't think I ever did anything like too fast paced. I always wanted something that was like I could kind of bop with, like like um. I think you texted oh. me before about Kendrick, a Kendrick song. Yeah, yeah, I had a Kendrick song, um, and then who was that one? The when I was talking on the podcast all my life. Uh, um, uh, Lil uh, J Rock. Yeah, J Rock song. Yeah, that J-Rock. song I love. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's a story to that song. Like, I, I like I, I like that song. That, that was just one of those songs that was just like, okay, like this isn't a shout out to J Rock. J Rock is yeah, another J-Rock. cool cool individual, man. Yeah, I, I, I like his music a lot. Um, and that was one of my first songs. Um, and then when I play in Mexico, I always just do Spanish music, just because I'm like. You know why I do the Spanish music when I'm in Mexico? Because the fans love it and they sing it and they dance it. And I feel like, oh, there's just this great like vibe when I'm going up the hit. It's like a quinceanera. <laughs> yeah, dude, it is. It's unbelievable. And they everyone's singing and dancing in the stands. And I'm like, oh, this is great. So I just that vibe, that feeling, because there were songs that guys would play um, for certain at-bats where they strictly did it because the entire crowd in Washington, D.C. would sing it. Like it was sick. Like they'd walk up and the whole crowd would sing it. And then like, it just gave you the chills. And it always seemed to be like in the eighth or ninth inning in a big spot of the game. And then we'd come through and I was like, man, it has something to do with the whole vibe and the crowd and everyone's behind you. And it's like, that's kind of what I always looked for was something that people could vibe with. So I could feel it like getting me in the right spot. Yeah. I tell people all the time, either in life, you're going to be a thermostat or you're going to be a thermometer. One's going to read the temperature, yeah. one's going to read it and change it. And I think that's what you just described right there, being able to change right. the environment for when you were time to go up to bat. It was like, yo, I need this environment rocking because y'all going to yeah. make me feel good. And I know even if I just hit a single, that was the best damn single y'all seen this night. You know what I mean? Right, and right exactly. I, I, how is that playing in Mexico, man? Because the only thing I ever hear about Mexico, I had a chance to chill out with John Rocker one time. You talking about nuts. Yeah. Holy yeah. hell, that dude is nuts. And yeah. boy, and then I found out Eastbound and Down was made after John Rocker. The Kenny yeah. whole, whole Kenny Power thing. So now when I think of baseball in, in Mexico, I think yeah. about Kenny Powers. So how is yeah. that for you, bro? Like ch- chilling down in Mexico. So it's different. Um, you know, the, the biggest change down there is the velocity. They don't have the velocity pitching wise that the United States has. Um, but that league has gotten a lot better because of the direction that major league baseball has gone that they have kind of changed and everything has gotten young. Everybody's young in the game right now. Nice. So a lot of the players that are my age, you know, 30, 33, 34, 35 are going down there to play because they still have a lot of years left in them. Mm-hmm. but they can't get either they can't get deals in the United States or you know whatever it is and so they go down there and so you have a lot of ex big leaguers that have four five six years in the big leagues that are playing down there that's, um, that's dope the thing I like about playing down there um, I would say is the is the environment is is always fun it's awesome it's a great environment but they play an old school style of baseball Um you can run the catchers over. You can take out the guy at second base. You <laughs> yeah, can. That's good baseball. You can, you, can, you can play baseball without feeling handcuffed at any point of the game. And, you know, if, if feelings are hurt, oh, they well. hit somebody, they hit somebody and it's a fight. Like that's, that's how <laughs> that's, 
I like baseball like that because you allow the players to govern each other, right? Yeah. If something's up. Okay, Handle. you know when the situation is coming, someone's going to get hit, someone's going to charge around, someone's going to happen. Like that's part of the game. Just like hockey, like that's mm-hmm. part of the game. Right. Let, let it happen. <laughs> hey, I I like to me, that's baseball right there. Man, if you gonna, if you going to stand over home plate and stop me from winning this game for us that could matter on the way to October, I'm running through your ass, bro. I'm going to turn into yeah. Ronnie Lott, not John Mosley. I'm going to run through no. you, and hopefully I knock this ball out your hand. 100%. 100%. And that's how it was when I first came up. That's how it was. And, you know, say there's a double play, and um, there's a runner at third base, and we couldn't have the double play turned, right, because we need that run to score. We can't have a double play turn. Well, whoever's playing second or short of the other team, if I'm on first running – I'm going to make sure you end up in left field. <laughs> you're not turning this double play. I don't give two shits. Like, you're not getting this double play off. I got to get that run for the team. And it came back on me. You know, I got taken out hard sometimes. I've been hit plenty of times, but that was the game. That's how it was played. Oh, hey, that like you said. But, see, you had that mentality. You got that old school mentality. Like, think about, rest yeah. in peace, Kobe Bryant, when he was transitioning yep. from – the older Michael Jordan Pistons style type of basketball to the new let's running gun. Let's it was like you went from Clydesdales till you went to like just Greyhounds. Like right. it was like you you didn't have those big brute type of basketball players. Think about it. The league don't even really have big centers no more. These guys is seven feet three shooting three pointers. Like I, Yeah, it's I, not your standard just low guys, you know, sitting down at the bottom, you know, and just tossing the ball into Shaq and letting him crush everybody on the way to the <laughs> rim. You know, it's it's a different game, and that's what baseball has done, too. It's, it's, everything has changed. It's a different style now. Yeah, and, and it, it's so crazy to see it, but I, I wish they would let baseball come back to that. If, if you had uh, got a call back to come back and, and play, you know, would you take it, or would you would you stay down in Mexico just because that style of baseball is, is more comfortable? for you no obviously i want to be in the united states but the you know with where baseball at um and the style it's changed um i played in the states last year and um didn't really have an opportunity to go back to the states this year and so i went to mexico with the opportunity to possibly go to japan or korea this year and um you know i'm I'm okay with the with the my career being over in the united states Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm looking forward to the journey in Korea or Japan or Taiwan and Mexico. Um, the only reason, like, yeah, if I got the call to come back to the United States, I'd hundred percent come. And the reason I would come is for my kids. Right. Um, I, I want my kids to, to watch me play in the big leagues. Uh, all the years I got to play in the big leagues, I didn't have kids yet. Yeah. You were solo yeah, bolo. My, <laughs> yeah. It was me and my wife. And then the last year in the big leagues, my, um, my oldest boy, Ty, who would be four here in a, in a couple of weeks, he was just a baby. You know, he, he was, less you know maybe six months old um his first game was actually in 2016 we came to play the the dodgers in the playoffs and he was literally like two weeks old wow and so he was really young going through 17 still um so the biggest reason i think would just to for them just you know if i had the opportunity to come back i love playing baseball and i love playing in the big leagues it was a great great time great years but the biggest thing would to be for my kids. Do you ever think that, uh, like, do you save footage or save like certain things to give them, to show them, you know, cause mm-hmm. like 
right now my son be like, Dad, you didn't play sports. And I'm like, bro, I did play sports. And he was like, no. Right. But like the times when we were growing up, those VHS tapes are gone. Like they're yeah. they're gone. You know what I mean? So I stopped playing when I was right. in college. So he don't get to see that. He don't get to see those old highlights compared to what everybody gets to see now. So do you keep certain things for your kids to give them so that they can see that? Yeah, so we have a lot of stuff uh, from newspaper clippings to, you know, things that people have sent me. Um, I have a a big, nice collection of my own cards, uh, more of the one-off stuff that I can give to them when they they get older and understand it. My my older boy, who's he'll be four, he understands that, you know, I played in the big leagues for a long time and I still play, so he, you know, he still loves it. but at that age, I don't think he fully understands, you know, where I, where I was at. So I have a bunch of baseball cards and bats and all my gloves and batting gloves and everything. So um, they, they'll have they'll have plenty of stuff. And from, you know, I have all my jerseys and stuff from the years played. So they'll they'll have plenty of stuff to, to look at. Bro, my son probably think I'm Al Bundy. Like, <laughs> he probably think I just went to Polk High. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Dad, don't have no stats nowhere. <laughs> well, what what's funny is that, like, um, a buddy of mine who I played in the big leagues for a long time, his dad was a great big league ball player. His son calls me and texts me for advice. I'm like, dude, walk into your dad's room right now and ask, <laughs> why are you asking me? You know what I mean? But I'm like, your dad was an unbelievable ball player, played the big leagues for 17 years. Like, go ask him. He's right next to you. And then, but I see it now because my son, like, if he wants to hit or play catch, he either he like if my buddies come over, he wants to play catch and hit with them, or if mom's here, he wants mom to pitch to him, and he's like, "Dad, you be the catcher," and I'm like, <laughs> "What the hell? I'm chopped liver over here!" Like, you know what I mean? So like, I like it. They because they're your kids, you know. Yeah. You don't know you don't know shit because of your kids. Yeah, I told you I'm Al Bunny to him, bro. I'm I'm pretty sure that's what he thinks. Like that, you, you trash. Like he told me the other day, he was like, "Dad, you know I could beat you at a race." I'm like, "Yeah, you fucking can. You should." <laughs> you should. <laughs> yeah, I played him. I played him not too long ago in uh, Madden. You know, uh, and I played him for a pair of Jordans, and he beat me on a, a game glitch. Like, he kicked the ball. I kicked it off to him in overtime. He ran the shit back. But I was trying that old school game, and I was, like, trying to get in his head. Like, I'm talking shit to him while he's playing. He set up away from me, put a hoodie on, and put his earphones on. And I'm like, damn, you just took the fun out of this for me. I could not get into his head. But I also, as a dad, because at the time that we played, he was ranked, like, number two or number three in, our in like, Texas. I'm like... Well, you're really good and so I was trying to like be the dad and teach him like alright son yeah. your game is too simple like I'm old and I'm picking up on what you're doing so you gotta do this but then I'm like yo I'm playing for some Jordans this is like $300 cause this dude feet is he bro he's 13 and 6 yeah. feet tall so I'm like you're wearing grown men's size shoes so right. I gotta at least win so that not so that I can talk shit but so I can not have to pay for these shoes <laughs> But yeah, you're not wearing a size six anymore, bro. That dude, no, he goes to my shoe closet. And he's like, ah, oh, two pair of socks. I could get these. I'm like, no, bro, one pair of socks and you'll get them. <laughs> not two. Yeah, but yeah, he, you fit them. 
Yeah, man. I, I and I think for me, it's awesome to see you as a as a pops as well, bro. Because it's like, me too, man. I feel like we grew up in in these two lives together. You know, you went to professional baseball, I went professional hairdresser, and I think it's so awesome just to still have that friendship, still have that bond. You know what I mean? And 100%. just just for everybody that's listening that's gonna watch this video, I have never asked Danny for anything other than advice or just good conversation. And I think for everybody listening. You know, take take that opportunity to build a relationship that's going to last longer than somebody giving you a ticket or somebody doing yep. something for you. Build those relationships because those are more valuable than any gift or any dollar amount. The gift add value because it makes you feel appreciated, but let the gift be given. That's why it's called a gift. Yep. And and appreciate those things. And and so, brother Mike, like my hat goes off to you, man. Kudos to you for thank you. For being a professional that you are, doing what you do, Appreciate raising your family, and and like you said, man, wanting to leave that legacy for your kids, and I just appreciate the hour, uh, hour and like fifteen minutes that you have given me, man, and you know you at home. Love it, man. I mean, that's and I, I enjoy doing this, and you know, like I said about you know leaving a legacy and stuff, and you were talking about take that gift, you know, whether it's a friendship or the relationships you create that's worth way more. Um, and that's what I want to leave for my family. I know my uncle just passed a few months ago and I was talking to my, I mean, it's all plays into, it. I was talking to my cousin. I was like, you know, outside of everything that our uncle did and built and everything, I said, the most important thing he left us was the relationships that he gave us with all the people, all of his friends, everyone he connected with, with as like, we have relationships for life that it were, if it weren't for him, we wouldn't be taken care of this way. Right. We wouldn't have this if it weren't for him being the good person that he was and the stuff that he created and connected with, it wouldn't be there. So like you're saying, like, yeah, the Montero stuff, like it's cool. Like, Oh yeah. You know, he gave me this, he gave me that, but the connections of life are truthfully what's most valuable. And, you know, to watch you go from, growing up, you know, being in Long Beach and us hanging out at a young age and to go into a barber shop and be like, oh, who cuts your hair normally? You know, and I'm like, I'm like, John Mosin's like, ah, uh, I don't know. And I'm like, well, you know, popping up, popping up, nobody like, that's your barber? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, no, he's, he's big. You know, he's the biggest dude. And like, so for me to be able to watch you become what you've become has been so cool because when, when people ask me like about who cuts my hair or this, that, and the other, I'm like, John's the biggest barber in the world. Like <laughs> from what, from what I know and from what I see, and I've had some big barbers cut my hair. I'm like, this is a guy I knew from when I was young to now he's one of the biggest barbers in the world. And I was like, and he hasn't changed. He's been the same guy. He's been the same connection. He's been the same person. I can just reach out and be like, yo, what's up? How you doing? Like you've never changed. You've never done anything different. And I appreciate that as, as a friend, you know, as a friend, that's, that's an unbelievable thing. And don't ever, you know, for the people that are watching, don't let success change you because it happens to a lot of people. And the, the best people I know are the guys that have stayed the same through and through, you know, through the ups and downs. Yeah. I was going to ask you for some words of advice to everybody, but you just did it right there. That's how we, <laughs> boom. I ain't even got to, see, look at that. I didn't even have to ask for that. He just did it. <laughs> um, it's, it's crazy, man. Like, 
there's so many things in life that, that a lot of us take for granted and we don't listen to and we don't take advice and, you know, I'm guilty of it. Um, not having to take advice or anything else, but, um, we'll all be guilty of it, but take it, learn, listen, grow. You know, I think that's the big thing is grow. We're all afraid of growth because we don't know what growth is, you know, is it going to be good or bad for us? Right. And, um, take it, you know, and I don't know, cherish all your friendships, relationships, family. It's, it's that'll be the biggest reward in the end. Yeah, and, and before we end this, I want to make sure we shout out your wife because she has to go through so much as well. Just while you're, you know, on the road and trying to, you know, when you went through the injuries and all that. So kudos to your wife for just holding you down and, you. And, and, and just trusting the fact that she was going to have a husband that led the best way possible and, and she could hold the house down while you was gone. No, I appreciate that. My wife has been huge for me, and that's actually the reason I married her. Um She's been able to take care of our kids and she's done everything for us, um, being able to keep our household together. But the reason I married her was in 2013 when I got hurt and I was sent to AAA. I got sent down part of my journey. My wife went to AAA with me. You see so many people that are in young relationships. We were in a young relationship um, that would have taken off or gone home or not stayed by that person's side. And my wife went down, went through the struggle with me, back to the minor leagues, and stayed by my side. And at that point, after that year, after being injured and everything, having to go through that, I was like, if she can go through this and dealing with, I was a head case that year, where I wanted to, I, I was done. Like baseball, I was so done. I was so in the left field. I was done, and that was the person who kept me straight, kept me grinding, go to the park, have fun who is my support outside of my family. My wife was always there and I appreciate you giving her a shout out because she's, she's a, a huge reason uh, for me having success and keeping, keeping me uh, my head straight. Yeah, definitely bro. You have to, because every successful man definitely has a stronger woman on the side and, and around, yep. you know? And so for me, like my wife has been part of this journey with me and watching it grow and then just seeing how we're growing the company and building a brand together yeah. and, you know, just all of that. We go to leadership trainings together and like, and, and not just leadership trainings to be better, you know, entrepreneurs, but to be better for each other, man. So yeah. I I understand the value of that. And, you know, sometimes we take it for granted. We might yeah. not give them the recognition that they need for all the things that they have to put up with and all the bullshit that we put them through. But definitely always want to make sure every time I get in the interview, I shout my wife out. And so anybody that's yeah. come to the podcast, I want to make sure I shot they wife out too because I want them to know you're part of this story, you're part of this journey, and we couldn't do what we do without y'all. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm sure you understand that with your wife being there, all the stuff that you've gone through, and building the brand that you built. I mean, without it, probably you know wouldn't be where you're at and who you are. So, you know, you'd always be the person, but without that support and having them there and continuing, it was. I mean, sometimes honestly, they give you the push to go. Yeah, or they put you in your seat when you think it's when you think you're going to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. 100%. I mean, it's, it's I guess you're, you're 100% right. We, you know, we all have that person behind us, our wives behind us that are, that are our big, um, big factor of our lives. Well, Danny, man, I appreciate your time, big dog. Thank you. Thanks man. for having me, man. man. I really enjoyed this. Man, yeah, it's been, you know, just casual conversation between two buddies yeah. that just been around each other for so long and just, it was just, yep. It was just that perfect time and a habit, bro. So 
I appreciate your time. Tell your wife I'm sorry for taking you away for th- on Thursday. She's probably night. happy. I was probably gone for. <laughs> <laughs> she's probably like, yeah, take keep them. Keep them. She's yeah. gonna, she gonna send 30 more minutes. Yeah, she's gonna send me a text after she hears this and be like, yo, that was great. Do it again. Part two. I think he got yeah, more. Yeah. <laughs> Man. So let everybody know where they can find you so they can find you on social and, and, and just, you know, tap into you a little bit. Yeah. So uh, my social media is, uh, I think it's Danny Espinosa underscore three. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see it um, just on Instagram. I have on Twitter. I'm not real active on Twitter, more Instagram. Um, and then I'm uh, the CBS podcast connected by seams. And it's so cool. how Like the that whole play comes in it because that's how our journey started. Yeah. By seams and how it all everything is. But um yeah, that's kind of the, the, the two things I'm really on. Um, you know, I'm pretty active on, on Instagram, probably not active enough. I wanna get in that beard game. I need to get like that barber beard game, get 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 all over that stuff. I'm gonna but. find out who run that, bro, and I'm gonna I'm gonna call him. I'm gonna call him out for you so that you we could get you in you deserve it, man. <laughs> matter of fact I need I, I need matter, to get going. Matter of fact, I'm gonna send you some beard grooming products from Maverick. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, Maverick, sure. here you go. We ain't gonna find a beard thicker than this. This is four months. Jesus. Check it out. And for all your Mexican followers, Jesus. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Check it out. Sancho yeah. is big. Yeah. Have you named it? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You gotta give it a name. Oh, it's like it's like I'm gonna call it like the garbage disposal because everything's in it from everything <laughs> I eat and everything else. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, bro, uh, man, well, I'm going to get you some product. I'm going to have that sent out to you tomorrow, actually. So, man, I appreciate you, big dog. Thank you. Uh, The same way we bring you in is the same way you bring you out. So we already know what it's about. You hear the music because he's been grinding, proving people wrong every minute, every hour. So shout out to my boy, Danny. Catch him at the Connected by the Seams podcast. Danny Espinosa underscore three on Instagram. We're going to get that beard right. It wouldn't be right if I didn't do it. So I got to do it. And I'm going to clap you out big time, big dog. I appreciate you, man.